title of the new album is Balance. The name of the album is uh, Balance. The name of the new album is Balance. The name of the new record is Balance. And personally, I feel it is the best thing that we've done as far as production-wise and songwriting-wise. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. not a concept record. We have never picked titles that represent the entire album or take it in a certain direction. So, Eddie, did you uh, consult these guys when you cut your hair off? No. I offered well, he consulted us after he got it. I offered to help. Yeah, this is what we thought afterwards. <laughs> it's really cool since I cut my hair. Nobody knows who I am. It's great, you know. I can do is go to Mike and, and like, pay him off or like really try to get Mike and <laughs> no. then you got a battle and then the second I leave the room the brothers get Mike and convince well, him the other way had. and then I come no, back in the room me more. and it's three against they one and I never get my way in this band and I'm well, Oh, my Lord, where has the year gone? We're already to the end of October. It's almost Halloween, and here we are visiting another Van Halen album. We're hitting the 10th studio album, Van Halen Balance. It will be the final album with singer Sammy Hagar. Hollywood, you ready to get into this record? Uh, Yeah, because this one is interesting. (laughs) Even when we get to the Japanese bonus track, Uh. I thought that would be better. I was wrong. Don't give it away yet. But yeah, yeah, there's definitely some uh, opinions on this record for sure. And just like the rest of the episodes that we've done all year long, we've got to bring along a special guest. So for this album, we brought along Brad Rustoven from the Slam Fest podcast. Brad, what's going on? Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Doing well, my friend, doing well. This will be, you're not a first timer to this show. You've been on the show a few different times on various episodes. And when I started recruiting people for these Van Halen albums, you chimed in and stepped up and were willing to do the balance record. What's your history with this record? You know, it's it's interesting when I uh, when you did let me know, because I think it was between the fuck album and balance early on. And then you let me know that it was it was going to be balance. And Thinking back, and I couldn't really find any anything to verify this, but I remember December 1994 watching a college football bowl game, and halftime came, and they debuted the video for Don't Tell Me What Love Can Do. I don't know why. I mean, the timing is right with it. That single was released December 28th of, 
of 94. Uh-huh. I remember, <laughs> I don't know what the significance was of the bowl game that was playing, but I remember somehow through their management, they obviously got uh, got that stage and, and they showed that video. So that was the first thing that I remember seeing and or hearing from this album. And what was your initial impression of that single? I, I thought it was dark. <laughs> that was a dark song. Yeah. I, I liked the riff and I thought Sammy sounded good. I mean, it sounded, it sounded heavy. It didn't sound like, didn't really sound like the other Hagar era Van Halen albums. Right. Hollywood. How about you? What's your history with this record? Uh, that was the first song I heard. And I remember going, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, how did we get, we waited for this, right? I'm like, the album cannot be like this. But, you know, it's it's Hagar, it's Van Halen. The first day it came out, I had it. I saw them live on this tour uh, twice. But I remember hearing that first song going, oh, tell me the rest of the album is not this. You know, I got to say, it's pretty interesting, and we'll get into all that. But it's a little interesting that they chose that to release first. Based on their history with, with Sammy, more so than a song like Can't Stop Loving You, which they released second. It just it's just an interesting thing. Like I, I wonder whose decision that was and what the what the reasoning was behind that because it seems like a song like Can't Stop Loving You would have been more appropriate based on their history with Sammy. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I agree. And based on what Bruce Fairbain has done right. in his life, right. you would think that it would have been a little peppier. You know, I'm not talking like Amsterdam, like you know, but you know, a little right. peppier. You know, you can't really release seven seal either but right. uh somebody else has got maybe it's got the grunge effect going yeah absolutely we are talking 95 yep. no yep sonny you're you're i think you're right on it plot had changed since the fuck album had come out yeah and maybe they were going with something darker to try to try to meet what was on the radio at that time as well so you know when i you gave me the balance album i was curious where was this gonna go <laughs> you know from you guys your, your guys' standpoint I, I wasn't sure what direction it was gonna go and what you guys thought of this album i do remember sonny at the end of the fuck episode you said my love of doing <laughs> this van halen thing monthly is about to end in one more album so <laughs> <laughs> so i thought maybe i squeezed in just to, you know just before just before the 11th album so but anyway, I thought it'd be interesting to see where this goes and what you guys really think of this album. Well, we'll definitely get into all that, because to be honest, my history with this album is kind of null and void. I really, to be honest, don't remember this album a whole lot. For whatever reason, this album seems like it's the forgotten Van Halen album. Now, everybody knows most of the records and they're quick to say, oh, the worst Van Halen record, Van Halen 3, absolute horrible record. So people have a definite opinion about Van Halen 3, but nobody really talks about balance that much. It doesn't seem like anyway, that's my perception. Yet this record sold 3 million records. So, (laughs) So where did those 3 million records come from? What pushed the record? We'll get into all that. But before I get into all that, Brad, you want to pitch your uh, podcast, Slamfest podcast, to a new listener uh, who maybe isn't aware of you? What's your podcast about? Absolutely. So, yeah, so we bring the premier rock concert pregaming experience from the parking lot to the podcasting airwaves. So I'm not as creative as all you guys that can come up with interesting topics week after week after week, and it's 
kind of all over the board, I've got to have some method to my madness. So I'm going through my concert chronology and started this in the middle of, of the pandemic. So there weren't shows going on. But as soon as shows started coming back and I started going to them, I'm dropping those in. So I'm doing some real time episodes as I go to go to concerts. But then I'm just continuing and going through my concert chronology and I'm bringing in a lot of my friends, my brother, some of his friends. We've got a, a group that loves to go to concerts together, and that got dubbed Slam Fest. So that's where the that's where the name comes from. But I I recap the show, but then I get into the band or bands on the bill and talk about something. You know, put some albums up against each other, uh, go through a, a Slam Fest tip of the week segment, and then I do a Which Side Are You On? So I pick an album from one of the bands and put side one up against side two. This week we'll be dropping episode seventy. I made a decision early on. I like all kinds of music. Hard rock and heavy metal is my is my bang zone, but I go out of format quite a bit. And I think making that decision to do that has made the podcast more interesting. <laughs> so it's not the same same stuff. You know, I, I've seen a lot of bands multiple times, but getting into some of the out of format stuff, I think, is is working. So awesome. Yeah. If we did a uh, Slam Fest podcast, it would be like. For the first three hours, we drank beer out in the parking lot, and then we stumbled into the concert, bought an overpriced concert T-shirt, and I raised a hail at the front of the stage. And that's the episode. You're welcome. <laughs> if, if I was to do mine, let's say, I'll pick a year, 92, 93. So Monday, I went to go see Millie Vanilli and Paula Abdul. Tuesday, I was at the Slayer concert. At the Omni Wednesday, I went to go see Slash's Snake Pit and Van Halen. Thursday, Bell Bib DeVoe was in town, so I had to go see them. Like, <laughs> I love the variety there, Sonny. That was yeah, good. yeah, and those are all true. <laughs> Which is exactly why Sonny got beat up at the Slayer concert wearing hammer pants. There true. you go. <laughs> Hashtag true story. <laughs> <laughs> So let's get into some basic facts about Van Halen's balance. Uh, released January 24th, 1995, the length of the record is 53 minutes and 18 seconds, which by Van Halen standards, that's a really long record. The label is Warner Brothers producers Bruce Fairburn, and it did sell 3 million records, as I mentioned earlier. We're going to get into it song by song just to figure out where those three million do because I I kind of think it's a little payola, but I I don't know. We'll we'll figure that out. <laughs> Let's talk about the album cover a little bit. So the original title of the album was the Seventh Seal, which is the lead off track. To which photographer Glenn Wexler, who is the guy that took all the shots for the record, created some concepts, including one with an androgynous four-year-old boy. Eventually, they picked Balance, which Alex explained to Wexler was about the turmoil and changes surrounding the band. We'll talk a little bit about this when we get into the album, but definitely, like I said, this is the last album with Sammy Hagar. The band was for sure going through changes. The last album that they released was the live album, and Sammy in his book talks all about the controversy with that live album, and he was not seeing eye to eye with the band at the time. They, he basically had to re-record all his vocal tracks for that live album, which he was none too happy about. So this record, I think, was recorded under duress within the band. 
on top of that, the band lost their longtime manager, Ed Leffler, who died. Wexler then sketched some new concepts uh, with the band liking one with conjoined twins on a seesaw. Uh, so, okay, interesting. Wexler added that the twins were designed to mimic the shape of the Van Halen logo. Now, I don't know if anybody else saw that, but I sort of took to that immediately and saw it. I didn't think it really looked like the Van Halen logo, but I saw where it kind of reminded me maybe that's what was going on there. An alternate cover was used for the Japanese release because the Japanese were offended by the twins, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> so, so on the inside of the compact disc shows Leonardo da Vinci's drawing, and the back of the booklet shows an egg balanced upright on a guitar. Brad, what's your opinions of this, uh, this album cover and your thoughts? Well, you know, so you've got the title balance and there can be all kinds, you know, type in balance into Google and, and see everything that, that comes up and the different meanings of it and different, uh, uses of that word. I think they went with the thing that would be, well, a eye catching and potentially controversial gets people talking. But, you know, when I started thinking about it, you know, they could have put a balance knob on an amp or on a, a boom box, I guess at that time. Right. Or, a, I was just going through some different thing, balance scale, you know, a checkbook, you know, balancing a checkbook or, or, uh, <laughs> accounting T chart, you know, where you're balancing. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that you could do. I think they went with the one that, uh, was going to grab people's attention. And I think it did. I, I mean, I'm not crazy about it and I, I never, uh, I don't listen to CDs much anymore, so I don't, I don't really have to look at it very often, but I think they could have done something maybe a little bit different. Sonny, what are your thoughts? So I heard a interview with Glenn, uh, the guy who drew it, right? So he's like, or shot it. He said, it's supposed to be like a fight between good and evil. It's an expression of duality. The calm twin is the aggressive one, right? Kids naked to make it feel primal. It's supposed to be apocalyptic. So that's why it has the background. It's not wolfy. People thought it was yeah, right. it's not right. wolfy. He said Alex helped him with the concept, but nobody would give him a copy of the album beforehand because he wanted to hear the album to try to get a feel for what this album art should look like. And they refused. <laughs> so he had to deal with that. <laughs> I, to be honest, I never even noticed the one twin pulling the other one's hair yeah. until recently. Like I never noticed that just because I don't have the vinyl. I mean, I have a CD. So, uh, and I didn't look that closely at it, but. Because it looks like it's almost like his arm is ripping away from the body mm -hmm. instead of he's actually pulling the hair. Yeah, it's interesting. It's weird and interesting. And hey, at least it's something more to look at than what was on the fuck record. <laughs> I mean, at least it's a little more interesting than that, right? You would think that when people hear this and they don't know what record we're talking about, that a fuck record would be interesting to look at. But actually, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> It's probably the most interesting album cover of all the Hagar era albums, right? I mean, it's got to be. Yeah. <laughs> interesting fact. Fuck, not that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Jed's glad to hear that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I hate that I have to do this, but fuck, For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge is the Van Halen record, studio record before this one. Just FYI. <laughs> 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 so that's the basic facts of the record it was recorded at mostly at 5150 studios as normal we'll talk about it but one of the things that i noticed right off the beginning with this record 
is the overall production of the record and the sound. So I think it's interesting to note that Mike Frazier mixed this record and Mike Frazier's done a ton of stuff. He's been around, Google him, look at his discography. And then George Marino mastered it. And so the production team of this record, including Bruce Fairburn, really, really top-notch shit. So maybe that plays a part into the overall sound of the record because it's pretty good from my opinion. So, yeah, I love the production actually. I mean, I, I, it sounds fantastic in my car and if something sounds fantastic in my car, I think it's, I think it's got good production on it. So again, comparing it just to the Hagar era uh, albums, I think it's probably the best sounding out of all of them. That's right. Brad still drives that gremlin. Um, and has the uh, Rambler, the, the Ram- Rambler, the Pinto. <laughs> Brad still has his Pinto with the, his uh, rigged uh, speakers through the front uh, dashboard. It's fantastic. Yep, it's it's got a badass stereo in it, though. You can make fun of it all you want, but <laughs> and they can hear me coming for miles. <laughs> Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. The Seventh Seal. So <laughs> nominated for a Grammy, but lost to the Smashing Pumpkins. That's all you need to know about the state of music in 1995. Brad, tell me you're not a Smashing Pumpkins fan, at least. And what do you think about the Seventh Seal? So, no, I'm not a huge well, you didn't ask me if I was a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan. You asked me if I was a Smashing Pumpkins fan. And, you know, again, with our, our friend Tom at the Shout Out Loudcast uh, podcast, I went to school at the same time he did. So I got into some of that grunge stuff. So don't hold it too far against me. But the Seventh Seal, you know, it's got that chanting at the beginning. And it's, you know, credited for the monks of Gaudo Tantric University or however you pronounce that. Like, luckily, it's only 20 seconds of it and it, it doesn't go on for two minutes. And as soon as the bass line and the drums kick in, is it just me or does that sound exactly the same as Pound Cake? I mean, the bass line is just a driving bass line and the drums are the same. I mean, obviously, the riff is different, but it reminds me of Pound Cake, actually, even though the riff is a little bit different. But overall, I'm, I'm a fan of this song. I think a, a great riff. I think Hagar sounds good. He's he's a little raspy. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as the as the album goes on. I feel like his his vocals a little raspier than than normal, but overall I'm a fan of this song. I think it's a great kickoff. I think Pound Cake's a better better album opener, but I think of, of the Hagar era, I think this is number two for me for album album openers.
Yeah, Stephen, I'm thinking Bruce puts this darker tune right out of the gate to show people, look, this ain't just a party album. But you know what? For all the shit that Sammy takes, you got to be versatile to be able to sing a song that's somewhat serious, too, and not just, you know, fucking sucking party type song. So <laughs> I think it's a good song. But what do you think, Stephen? Yeah, it's actually, I really like this song a lot. I read somewhere today as I was doing research, somebody had mentioned the chord structure or the sound of the chords being very U2-ish. And I didn't necessarily think that, but I understood sort of what they were saying. But I really like the rhythm patterns and the cadence in which Sammy delivers the lines. So I think they're probably talking about those opening chords that Eddie's using. But then when he gets into that groove, I really dig the groove of it and, the, and like I said, the cadence of it. I like this song a lot. All right, so next song, Can't Stop Loving You. It deserves it, right? Immediately lines up the move. Absolutely. And would you consider this? I know you guys have talked about ballads and power ballads before. How do you categorize this song? You think it's about uh, ba- a ballad or a power ballad? Mid tempo. Agreed. Yeah, completely. I agree. I agree with you. But you know what? I think, and this is, you know, I know Sonny, how much you love fifty-one fifty and some of OU812, but I think this is better than those mid tempo songs off of those first two albums. <laughs> Which is kind of a bold statement, I think. But I I think the key with this, and as we get into it, I I know the credits are, you know, say that there's piano on this album. And I mean, there's some obvious piano on this album, but I don't detect any keyboards on this song. I think it's all guitar. And, you know, I think that, you know, brings them into the mid 90s and they're kind of getting away from the keyboards, which, again, is surprising to me how this album gets panned. 
by some diehard Van Halen fans. And I, I'm thinking, man, I think they're getting back to, to more guitar-oriented stuff and surprised that uh, people were turned off by it. So if you really want to piss off your ex-wife, this is the way to do it. <laughs> so what Sammy did here, if you listen to the lyrics and you read them as you're singing, the song is the perspective of Sammy's ex-wife. So he's being the ex- ex-wife singing to himself <laughs> that I can't stop. Like, you want to really piss off an ex-wife? Yeah, that's that's the way to do it. Wow. It's a good song, though. I like it, Stephen. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I want to hate it a lot like the other songs that are in the same vein on the rest of the Hagar, Van Hagar records, but it's hard to hate. I mean, I agree with Brad in that they took a little bit of the keyboards out of this song that would have otherwise been in this song on the other records, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, I kind of, you know, it's a, it's a pop rock uh, hit. Definitely not a ballad, but yeah, mid, mid-tempo pop rock hit. Yeah, and you, you got to have some set of balls and a big ego to sing, <laughs> sing a song about, <laughs> about yourself from the perspective of your ex-wife. God love you. <laughs> She's probably crying all the way to the bank as she took him for whatever. Oh, yeah. Third song, Don't Tell Me What Love Can Do. We talked about this a little bit. Uh, Brad, the chorus is not good here. Like, it's wimpy. Like, I like the verses, but the chorus is honestly not that great. And you were talking about Sammy's rasp. Dude, he is pushing it here. Like, it, it's almost bad. Like, I yeah. really like Sammy, but this one's almost bad. Yeah, you're, you're right, Sonny. I mean, the, the chugging riff, again, the dark, it's dark and heavy. And the I think the verse... You know, is that the riff in the verse is great. His verse delivery, I think, is good for what the song's about. But the chorus takes a left turn. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And the chorus doesn't match. <laughs> I don't think it matches the rest of the song very well. But uh, you know, overall, I do like the song. I like the hey hey hey's at the end, and you know, all that type of stuff. But you're, you're right, the chorus doesn't really fit. You know, don't Boris get to the chorus? Well, they didn't spend enough time on the chorus <laughs> of the song. Steven, there's rumors that the song was called What Love Can Do, and Eddie came over the top and said, you can't name it that. It's got to be something else. And I'm thinking that's why the chorus doesn't work, because it was done last minute, and Sammy's just singing it like under protest. Steven, have you heard this? I have not heard that particular fact about this song, but I mean, listen, it's just a dark uh, song. I don't hate it. It's, it's a little bit different than what Van Halen is. I see what you're saying, but yeah, I mean, it's not that bad of a song to me. You don't like the course at all, huh? I just think it's wimpy. They could have done better. The verses are so good. This song could have been better.
up. Agreed. And again, as we talked about at the top, you know, how is this the first single? <laughs> is is very very curious. And actually, I mean, we you know we're three songs in, and maybe we can talk about the sequencing. But I thought it was a little curious that "Can't Stop Loving You" was track two. <laughs> Well, I actually thought about that and was okay with it once I, I kind of thought it out. But I will say this. Let's talk about Don't Tell Me What Love Can Do being the first single. It's a six-minute single. Who the hell releases a six-minute single to radio first out of the gate? Are you crazy? That's stupid. Yeah, not a good, not a good idea. All right, so the next song, people make fun of it. I don't have a problem with Wham Bam Amsterdam. Honestly, I think it's peppy. I do too. I mean, this is so. <laughs> so song four. This sounds kind of like Hagar Van Halen. It, you know, it, it's the fourth single from the album. Starts off before the song even starts. He yells out, "The light them up." <laughs> when you're in Amsterdam, you know, do do what they do in Amsterdam. But intro riff of the song actually has a feel of extremes. Am I ever going to change again? Just the very beginning, not the. You know, not the main part of the riff, but the, just that beginning part of kind of the almost some of that palm muting uh, at the beginning. I, it reminds me of that, which is not a bad thing because that's a that's a kick ass song. But I, I agree with you. I think it's catchy. Wham, bam. Oh, Amsterdam. I know, Stephen, we're four songs in and we haven't said how great Eddie Van Halen is. Okay, the solos are great. Eddie Van Halen's great. He's wonderful. Whatever. Uh, your thoughts on the song? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. <laughs> 
Look, I think uh, some of the bad press for this song came from Edward Van Halen himself. He's gone on record as saying he really hated the lyrics. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Oh, Amsterdam. I don't got a problem with it either. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been to Amsterdam, Sonny? I have. <laughs> and, and Hagar is right. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Rustoven, you ever been to Amsterdam? I have. I have. And, and Hagar is right. And Hagar is 100% right. Yes. I've been to Amsterdam in a band and Hagar's right. <laughs> Let me just tell you. So anyway, Amsterdam, fun place for sure. But uh, I like the song. Eddie was, was sober at this point. I think that he had just gotten sober and he's from Holland. So maybe it rubbed him the wrong way, the lyrics, but... Bottom line is, I think it fits Van Halen's persona. Uh, I think it's a good tune. I like it. I like the groove. Uh, I like the song. There's nothing wrong with it. So it's my take. All right. Next song is Big Fat Money. I've said this a couple of times on this podcast about a couple of songs. There's too many damn lyrics. Like if you're going to talk so fast that I can't understand you anyway, you might as well be yabadoo, 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 big fat money. Because it's exactly the same. That's what I'm hearing. Like, it doesn't really matter. So I'm not a big fan of the song, Brad. I'm completely with you, Sonny. I mean, four songs in, I think, the I, other than the chorus could be better on, on track three. But this song does nothing for me. And I'm fast Van Halen. I, I'm a fan of some fast Van Halen stuff, but this one is is terrible. And Sammy, like you're saying, him is screaming out these lyrics at 100 miles per hour. Can't understand anything he's saying. I mean, you got the piano. So here's some piano back there, you know, towards the end. It's Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis or Little Richard, you know, type piano going. I, I don't know. Speed singing, I guess is what I would call it. And I'm not a fan, not a fan of the song at all. Steven, I was listening to this song yesterday and Eddie starts the guitar solo. And I'm thinking, why am I thinking Stray Cats right now? Like, it sounds like a Stray Cats guitar solo. <laughs> well, it's got a Stray Cats swing, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big fat money, a little bit of swing. Listen, if Sammy doesn't sing this song so fast, how do we get to our first song that's under four minutes long? Leave it alone. <laughs> it came in at 357. Success, success has been had. Listen, Big Fat Money, it's a swing tune. Van Halen has been doing this tune since the first album, basically. They like that swing groove. It's okay with me. Sonny, you like to sing all the songs, and you can't sing the lyrics to this song because, A, you can't spit them out of your mouth that quick, and, B, you don't know what he's saying, so you're just yabba-doing it. And it's kind of pointless in the car when you're yabba-doing it and nobody's there to hear you. So... I don't mind this song. It's not so bad. <laughs> you know, I, I'm guessing you're not a big fan of It's the End of the World by R.E.M. either. No, I am not. <laughs> and when I heard that song, I was thinking the same thing. It is the end of the world <laughs> as we know it. And I don't feel fine. <laughs> Save yourself, churn world, so its own needs. Dummy, serve your own needs. Beat it up an ox, beat grunt, no strength. The ladder starts to clatter with fear, fight down. High fire in a fire, representing seven games in a government for hire.
I mean, I think this made it in the set list for that tour, yeah, though. I remember. Do you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then they got that coin at the end, you know, spinning or whatever, which it's kind of interesting listening to it in, in headphones. You know, you got yeah. the, the right light, uh, left levels. So anyway. All right. So our first instrumental strung out. Okay. I got to go on a rant here. This, <laughs> I'm sorry. Eddie, uh, rest in peace. But fuck you. Uh, that's what I have to say about this because this is you saying to us, we will literally listen to anything. You can completely waste 90 seconds of my life with this hella stupid older recording on an album that's already too fucking long to begin with. Hard pass. Hard pass. I don't even know why this is on here. Brad, I'm sure this is your favorite song. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. So the first of three instrumentals on this album. And so, so picture this. So Eddie's sitting in the studio. He pushes record and he proceeds to clean his guitar. That's what this sounds like. It sounds like he's starting with the strings, going up and down, cleaning the bridge, fingerboard, then the neck, and then the headstock. What in the world is going on here? Yeah, I'm with you. How, how, could, he, how could he put this on here? Again, I know he's trying to be creative with it. Rest in peace, Eddie, but this was a waste of a buck twenty-nine. <laughs> I was thinking, Stephen, he took like a handful of coins and just threw it in the piano lid under the piano lid or something. It just lands and hit record. Yeah, so I, I didn't do a ton of research about this particular instrumental. I kind of think it is piano strings because the the strings sound really thick. So I'm guessing that it's uh, piano strings that are being messed with here on this instrumental. And I'm going to get this out of the way so that I don't need to keep repeating myself throughout this album. Strung Out is the first of three waste of time. Minute and 29, then it gets worse at a minute and 41, and then it gets even worse at 4.05. And we'll get there as we go through them, but I'm going to save a lot of time here and just say, you're killing me. I love Edward Van Halen. I love him. God love him. God rest in peace. But this is just a waste of time. And you know what? I say that as a fan. As an artist, you're entitled to do whatever it is that you want to do. God bless you. But release it as like a demo tape or release it as, uh, hey, here's just me messing around. If you want to listen to this shit, then go listen to it and buy it. But keep it separate from an actual album where there's viable material on this album, right? Because there is good stuff on this album, but this ain't one of them. <laughs> okay, so we go from a waste of time to not enough. Ah, uh, It's possible nobody agrees with me here. One of the best songs of the 90s. This is so well written. Like, it, I just got goosebumps saying it out loud. Like, the gospel type feel, the build it up, bring it back down, the dynamics make it feel so powerful, so emotional. And Sammy sings the hell out of the song. I don't understand why this song didn't go number one, to be honest with you, because Brad, I love it. I do too. I think it's a beautiful song. And a great piano, you know, they, they didn't have a piano ballad like this through their whole career. So I think that was unique. Just a great chord progression on the, on the piano. Hagar sounds amazing. Like you said, how did this only reach number 97? <laughs> I mean, it was 1995. I, I get it. But the build, you know, the, the build of the song, add the hi-hat there in the, in the second verse and the backing vocals, like you were mentioning. I read somewhere that Steve Lukather 
actually saying background on this, which was which was pretty good. But and then it kicks in, and you know, is, there's some great bass guitar playing in there, some 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 great guitar playing in there. But as the trend has been on this album so far, it's too long. <laughs> 513 I mean this thing could be they could cut two minutes off of this and and uh, it would have uh, it would have worked better for me I don't think the electric guitar solo really fit on this song either but overall I'm with you Sonny I think it's a beautiful song Yeah, Stephen, it being 95, you really probably can't build it to where they built it to, and you probably can't add the guitar solo. And then this can hit adult contemporary. It can be, you know, pimped as a song that's, you know, played at weddings, I guess. Um, and you can really sell the hell out of it. But, uh, Stephen, it's a ballad. Are you done with this song? <laughs> it is a ballad, but it is a beautiful song. I think the piano coming in, is just really, really pretty. And especially, and maybe this is strategic. I'll be honest with you. I didn't think about it till right now. Coming out of that horrendous strung out instrumental, because it does literally go straight out of that strung out into the piano for not enough. Maybe because it comes out of that horrendous sound into not enough, it makes it sound even more beautiful. You know, I mean, it's possible if you think about it. If that was the intention, it worked because I think it really, really does sound nice. Uh, if that's the intention, then Take Me Back should be a number one song later on. But anyway, okay, so let's go to the next song, eight song, Aftershock. So kind of picks up the pace a little bit. This one's about Sammy's divorce. Brad, what'd you think about the song? Yeah, I think this is a classic Van Halen riff on this song. I love it. Again, you've got that flange 
you know, sound kind of kind of at the beginning. Great chorus, living with the aftershock. Why, why, why? I never thought she'd walk. <laughs> There's the divorce uh, line, right? Great breakdown in there. Just actually love the song. I think it's a total jam. Yeah, Stephen, to me, this is an example of the vocal melody can make or break a song, and this verse melody is awesome. Yeah, to me, Aftershock is a song that could have easily been on the Four Unlawful Carnal Knowledge album. Yeah, it's a great song. I mean, it's a total Van Hagar rocker of a tune. So to track nine, I have absolutely no idea why uh, bands do drum solos live. (laughs) Why in the hell? Would you put one on an album from supposedly one of the best drummers in rock? Put something down. That's honestly not that impressive. Brad, were you impressed by this? Not at all. I've got written here is WTF. <laughs> that's all. That's all. I mean, the percussive sounds kind of initially, and then it kind of goes into the the actual kind of drum solo part. And like you're saying, yeah, it's not even that good. And you've got one of the best drummers in the world <laughs> on here. What are, what are they? What are they thinking? Yeah, Stephen, I'll tell you what they're thinking. The fans will listen to anything. <laughs> we got this guy, Stephen Michael. He'll pay for anything. We're Van Halen. He'll listen. <laughs> my thoughts on this song. So this is track nine. See my thoughts on track six. <laughs> now, <laughs> uh, what I would say is, so this is a drum thing. Is it possible? And I don't know the answer, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Is it possible that doing time is a political move by the band to keep Alex happy because Alex is kind of the guy in the back. His name's on the, on the band. He's a Van Halen brother, but it's always about Eddie. So maybe we're trying to, 
you know, make Al feel good and give him an instrumental on the record. Is that possible? It's not good enough to be rich as hell, get any woman you want, any drug you want, fly anywhere you want, do anything you want. You also got to put a shitty, you know, a minute 41 on the album. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't have a Porsche. I don't get all the chicks and I'm not rich as hell. So I don't know. I'll settle for banging my tin cans together and you putting it on a Van Halen record. <laughs> so so, so it, took, it took 10 albums for him to say, come on, guys, let me let me have something, right? Let me have some sort of solo on here. I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Listen, Rustovan, <laughs> I put up with it for 10 albums. Now it's my turn, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so track 10, Balukatarium, Balukatarium, has got one good thing going for it. It's much better than Strung Out or Doing Time. There you go, Brad. What do you got to say? I, I agree. I mean, it's actually a cool groove. There's there's cool lead melody going on in there. Put some fucking words to this song. <laughs> Why not put some words to it and not have it be a be an instrumental? Anyway, I'd, I'd be curious to see what would the verse melody, you know, what would the lyrics, you know, sound like over... This cool groove overall. Again, I can't pronounce the name of the song, but cool groove. <laughs> yeah, what I'm thinking here, Stephen, is this is Sammy Stan. You want to write lyrics to it? Do it. I ain't doing it. I can't. I can't figure it out. So whatever. Leave it. Leave it the way it is. I don't care. This is me saying that you could have replaced four o five. Blachababukajakakalala, whatever they <laughs> pronounce that song with something good. Up for breakfast, for God's sakes. Oh, that's a great song too. Something, anything, man. I mean, I don't get it. Says this was omitted from the vinyl LP due to time constraints. Woohoo! Dodge that bullet, <laughs> didn't you, <laughs> album buyers? <laughs> you dodge that bullet for sure. I just can't dig it, man. Oh my gosh. Anyway, <laughs> see see my opinions of track six and track nine. Same opinion. Move along. All right, so the 11th track, Take Me Back, Deja Vu. Brad, this felt like the sister song to finish what you started. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, that acoustic work at the beginning especially reminds me of Fleetwood Mac, actually. Reminds me of Lindsey Buckingham picking away. That that intro part is what is kind of what I thought. And then I love it when it kicks in. Kind of, you know, you've got that electric back there, great tone. Again, some more palm muting back there. But overall, I think Hagar sounds great on this song and there's an awesome acoustic ending to it as well cool cool song Some desert island 
Steven, Sammy could have took this and put it on any solo album that he had. It, this is all Sam. Yeah, I think it's good. Uh, I was reading somewhere where they were saying this riff goes way back to pre-Van Halen, like uh, before the 78 album, Eddie had this this riff lying around. So uh, I think it's a nice song. Yeah, and I completely get the sister uh, to finish what you started. It does have that feel. My only comment is maybe it's a little bit too long at 4.43, but... Uh, other than that, I think it's okay. And then talking about a little too long, <laughs> the yeah. last track on the official album, Feeling. I don't know about you, Brad. I don't need a concept song from Van Halen. That's not where I go to get my concepts. No. I mean, has Van Halen ever had a, a six-minute, 36-second song? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, they have. Man, oh, man. This thing, again, it's it, dark. It's kind of a, yeah, it's a dark song kind of at the beginning as it, as it builds and just a, just a dark vibe, which is not what I'm looking for <laughs> when I'm listening to a Van Halen album. So not a, not a huge fan of this song to, to end the album nonetheless. Yeah, Steven, I don't know if I would have ended it with this. I think I would put Aftershock at the end and just kind of end with a bang because this ends with a thud. Yeah. <laughs> 
All I hear when I hear this song is feelings, whoa, feelings. <laughs> I just, I don't, this song doesn't do, do anything for me. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of this song. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that. Hey, it's better than the instrumentals. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So then there's a Japanese bonus track, and it's called Crossing Over. So I'm thinking, all right, I have never heard Crossing Over. So two days ago, I go to YouTube. I punch in Crossing Over Van Halen. I listen to a minute and a half, and I'm like, oh, my God, this song is actually 10 times worse than anything but strung out on the actual album. Brad, have you ever heard this song? I, I, I have. and I mean, it's over five minutes long. You know, again, yeah, same thing. Very, very dark song, dark subject matter. It just, yeah, it just doesn't, uh, it's not what I think of when I think of Van Halen, for sure. Steven, there's no way Bruce is sitting back going, yeah, we got a winner. <laughs> like, he probably thinks we're going to sell three million albums because it's got Van Halen on the front of the album cover. But besides that, he's like, oh, God, right, these guys are done. <laughs> I, you know, I had never heard of this song until we started doing this Van Halen series. And somebody way back early on had reached out to me through the website and said, Crossing Over is a killer tune. I was like, I've never even heard of that song. What is that? And then he explained it's a it's a bonus track on on balance. Go check it out. You can find it on YouTube. So I went and checked it out on YouTube then, uh, which was many months back. And yeah, I don't get it. I don't mind that a song is dark. So yeah, it's not really Van Halen's thing. I get it. I don't mind that it's dark. But if it's gonna be dark, I would like it to be pretty cool. This one's not cool. It doesn't. It doesn't have a riff. It's just kind of slow and sludging. And uh, yeah, there, this song does nothing for me at all. All right, Brad. So here's where we get to top two, bottom two, and you cannot pick instrumental. That, I, I was not going to because that's a that's a cop out. I agree. I agree with you. But back to the instrumentals for a second. Isn't this is why you have a producer? How did he let those things on the album? I, how did Bruce let those on the album? I don't I don't understand. I, the only thing I can think of there is you're in awe of Eddie. Like I can yeah. imagine, you know, you're working with this guy that is the artist of all artists when it comes to the instrument that he's playing. Like, who are you to tell this guy something, right? You Just do what he says and shut the hell up and <laughs> make your point on the record and take home $3 million, I guess. Yep. Yep. So the first time I saw Van Halen was on the fuck tour. And so when I did that episode, I went through the, the Sammy Hagar albums and gave my Two faves and one least fave is what I do on when I'm when I'm I'm talking about those things. So when I went back to that episode and, and listened to it and heard what I said, I'm like, am I am I gonna change it? Has it changed? Because you know how things that happens, right? From yeah. month to month or day to day, whatever things can change. But listening to the album again in, in, in preparation for this, I'm actually sticking with the two songs that I said on that episode. So it's the laid off track, seventh seal, and aftershock are my two faves. And what about least? So least faves, big fat money and feeling. All righty, Steven. <laughs> uh, so, so if you take out all the uh, instrumentals, that leaves you with two tunes. So let's see, two tunes that I like are the two left after the instrumentals are gone. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, now my, my two favorite songs are seventh seal and Amsterdam. Uh, those are the two favorites for me. The worst, I'll call them my least favorite. Feeling definitely is my least favorite. And this one's probably going to be a little bit 
it, it's going to be take me back, but let me explain it at least. I, it's not that I dislike take me back. I actually like the tune, but it comes down to between take me back or something like not enough. And typically I'm not a ballad person, but I think that ballad is so well written and so pretty. I couldn't really get rid of it. So it sort of had to be take me back because I do like the rockers that are on this record. I'll stand by that. So my top two, not enough. Can't stop loving you. Two great songs. Very Hagar uh, hit my ear. Absolutely right. My two least favorites. Palookatherium is actually better than the two that I hate. With your feeling and big fat money. I'd rather listen to that four minute instrumental than listen to the yabba dabba doing that dumbass is doing. And then this feeling thing that I just do not understand at all. I don't get it. Um, all right. So before we get our overall thoughts, uh, you know, we like to connect it to Kiss. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So while, you know, Sammy's wham-bamming in Amsterdam and yabba-doing and big fat money and doesn't think he has enough and, you know, telling his woman that, you know, she can't stop loving him, Kiss is trying to figure out how to put their life back together get back and make up and make some money. So they go do this MTV Unplugged in August of 95. Now, the album didn't release until March of 96, but the recording was out there. And as you may know, if you're a Kiss fan, they had the four current members up on stage and then Ace and Peter join them and they do a few songs all together. And then ultimately that leads to the Kiss reunion. That unplugged taping is awesome. It is one of my favorite Kiss albums. I go back to it more than I go back to Alive or Alive 2 or Alive 3. Um, there's just something about these songs unplugged. And one of my faves off that is Sure Know Something. Check it out. But late at night, I still hear you call my name. 
Brad, I'm sure you like this or know something. It's a good, I mean, he kills. I still love you on that too. He does. He does. I, I, I will say I, I prefer the studio version of sure knows something uh, over this. Are you guys familiar? Um, Sonny, you might be familiar with the dress to kill independent tribute to kiss. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? So Bobby Bandera of Bon Jovi, Southside Johnny and the As- Asbury Jukes, he does this song, acoustic, just him. And I love the arrangement that he has on it acoustically, comparing you know, and comparing it to this one. I am amazed that Paul got all the lyrics right. You know, mystified, terrified, hypnotized, paralyzed, mesmerized, scared inside, starry-eyed, satisfied. How does he keep it straight? If this was a Gene song, <laughs> they would have never made it through it. There's yeah. no way. There's no way. But chorus, I mean, the song chorus, the lead guitar from from Bruce Kulick, that little lead melody during the chorus is great. The harmonies with Gene, Paul, and Eric are fantastic. But come on, Bruce, there's a pick slide on an acoustic guitar. <laughs> That's not, I, I'm not a fan of that. But then that that outro, that arrangement, you know, that, that Bruce probably came up with um, as the song's ending is is awesome. So overall, like I said, I prefer that uh, that Bobby Bandera acoustic version better, but but it is, it is solid. Steven, I was going to put, I still love you, but I figured you couldn't handle. <laughs> la, 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 la. I figured you couldn't handle that. So I skipped it. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've always sort of dismissed the kiss unplugged album because a, it's a live record. B it's an acoustic record. So it's kind of like meh. So I've always sort of dismissed it, but Over the course of the podcast, you've gone to it many times. I know it's a favorite record of yours. So we played a lot of various tracks from that record on the podcast. And I have to admit, every song that we played off of that, I really like a lot. I didn't even know Sure Knows Something was on that record, to be honest. That's the other thing about that acoustic record is it has some left of center tracks on it, right? It's not all the typical shit that you would normally hear. And I like that. I can appreciate that as a Kiss fan. So I dig it. Uh, But (laughs) I went out and purchased that record today because I didn't have it. I didn't own it. But I went out and purchased that record today after uh, prepping for this episode and listening to that song uh, because it's a solid song. So yeah, I dig it. I dig the rendition of it. Do I like this stuff better than the studio versions? I don't know about that. I like plugged in, but it's a nice uh, change of pace. Yeah, Brad, this was when I first heard Coming Home because oh, yeah. I didn't have Hotter Than Hell, right? It's only 95. I'm still kind of, you know, there's so much Kiss to go get. I was still looking for killers. Like there was that kind of stuff. I had heard some of the stuff, but I didn't have all the stuff. Yeah. But when I yeah. heard Coming Home, I'm like, what album is that off of? Yeah. I don't remember that song. Yeah, unplugged. Um, it had that song come to life for sure. <laughs> for sure. I, I was never a fan. It was too dark and dingy on Hotter Than Hell. I mean, hearing it on there or hearing it at the Kiss convention, you know, that I went to, too, I was just blown away by that song being performed live. So, you know, I went and uh, saw Kiss this past Sunday night, took my wife to see her first Kiss show and she enjoyed it and it was great. And so I feel like I'm a little remiss if I didn't deliver my thoughts on this uh, song influenced by Paul Stanley and his stage raps. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of like, I liked Kiss Unplugged, but (laughs) 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 we recorded it and I really like Sure Knows Something, but 
but <laughs> he hasn't changed anything over the course of his two years of, of isolation. Everything is but. I was laughing <laughs> in the seat. My, my wife's like, what are you laughing at? And I'm laughing at this concert because I'm enjoying myself, but <laughs> Paul can't stop saying but. <laughs> was it the same uh, video at the beginning with the Dodger hat and all of it, was it all the same as we saw in Vegas? Uh, it was very similar to Vegas. Yeah. The, there were a couple of differences. So I don't think in Vegas that he bought the animalized wrap back into the set and the, Oh an- no, he didn't. Otherwise we'd have been all over that. Yeah. It's, it's in the <laughs> set now. He, he oh, does, which one, the love gun one or, um, no, he does the whole animalize, um, you animals in the zoo, you oh, know, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. that yeah. This place looks like a damn zoo. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. He does that yeah. uh, before Psycho Circus, maybe. Okay. And, and I also noticed that in um, Setless FM, where they list all the setlists, people had it all wrong. They had the songs right, but they were, they've either, either that or they've changed the, the running order of the show, which I don't think they've done because they don't change anything. So the, they just they didn't get the song order correct in the set list. So kind of uh, bringing it back to Van Halen, I remember seeing this show live. I saw them on this tour twice, both times Slash's Snake Pit opened. They were both arena-type shows. I remember being in the crowd going, man, the energy is not the same. There is something wrong here. There's something wrong here. And I'll tell you, Slash's Snake Pit, the songs weren't great. But man, Slash brought the energy. He looked like he was on some serious coke because he was all over the place. <laughs> and then here comes Van Hillen. It almost made the guys look old, to be honest. Like there was something missing in the energy. Because they weren't on coke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Brad, did you see this live? I did not. No, no. Yeah. It, it, looking at the set list, it looks like it would have been a interesting show. I mean, they played a lot of stuff off this album, actually. And they've always done that. Do you, do you yeah. remember seeing this show, Stephen? Uh, so I did not see this tour, but what was interesting is um, I went looking for information on YouTube today and different things, and I found some interesting things on there. But I found the kickoff show. Did you watch the YouTube concert? Did it look like it had any energy? No. No. You know, this album, there's some really good songs on it. It's too damn long, and it's got some real shit. You could have probably knocked this down to nine songs, maybe eight, and everybody would have been just fine. Yeah, spe- speaking of that, actually, I mean, I, I think this is an underrated album, yeah, but I don't know where I would put it. <laughs> you know, everyone puts it to the you know second from the bottom, and, you know, I, I'd have to probably do uh, a lot of thinking of where I would probably put this. But like you're saying, Sonny, get rid of the instrumentals, and I wish Humans Being would have been written by this point, Put that song on this album. Get rid of feeling. You got ten songs, no instrumentals. Hey, I think you'd have a solid, uh, <laughs> a solid album. If you want to have an instrumental on here, I was thinking about this. Right? They had the weird thing from Eddie. They had the Alex thing. Do something with those guys together, maybe. I don't know what it would be. I mean, people would think that uh, Eruption obviously has has Alex in it a little bit, but maybe figure out a way to get the brothers together on some instrumental, and that might have been something special, but uh, the stuff that they had didn't work. The instrumental thing to me, Stephen, is, okay, I get it. It's Van Halen. We've always done it. It's Eddie. But then it's 1995. You've got an album cover that doesn't fit what you've ever done before. You went to some darker songs trying to get on radio with grunge, but we're doing the same shitty instrumental shit. Like, 
Why didn't that piece change? I don't understand. I don't know, but I'm 100% on par with, I think the perception of this record would have been much different if you would have scratched the instrumentals. If you're going to have an instrumental, I'm okay because that's been kind of the thing with Van Halen. Do a minute and a half instrumental of guitar, something good. I mean, just something good. They've got a lot of instrumentals that I like throughout their career. I'm not looking for them to recreate Eruption. But, I mean, I liked stuff like Cathedral and Spanish Fly and things like that. But they had, a, as they got older, Eddie's experimentation became just stranger and stranger and just didn't work for me as a fan. So get back to one of those minute and a half cool instrumentals that you were doing. Keep Seven Seal, Can't Stop Loving You, Don't Tell Me What Love Can Do, Amsterdam. Yes, Big Fat Money. Not enough aftershock. And if you could replace the instrumentals and feelings with like what Brad said, human beings or uh, up for breakfast or something like that, to me, it would have been a much different perception of this record. That's what I would say. But 3 million records, I don't ever remember anybody talking about this record. So I don't know what sold those 3 million records. He thinks Valerie has about 2 million of them in the garage. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, back to that point, uh, Stephen, how did this thing sell as many as the Fuck album? I mean, you know, when the album dropped, I don't know what Van Halen's good for. You know, what, what were they good for at that point in time? You know, just automatically, how many were going to go out the door? I mean, a million? Oh, they're still um, playing marinas. You could, yeah. It would have been double platinum no matter what. Yeah, probably double platinum no matter what. Then, I mean, you know, they had the, the you know, they can't stop, stop loving you and not enough, even though it didn't chart well. I don't and know. And they're really, I mean, think about it, one of the biggest rock bands on the planet for basically 10 years. Yeah. And they haven't yeah. gone away and they're yeah. still putting albums out. It doesn't surprise me when Triple Platinum. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they had to pay some guy at the radio station <laughs> to buy a million copies. <laughs> uh, maybe not. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, the next two put together didn't sell a third of what this one sold. <laughs> One of them we understand. The other one, I don't know. A better record, but we'll get into that. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. All right. Well, so this has been fun. Brad, once again, your podcast is the Slam Fest podcast. And when do you release episodes? Yep. So every Thursday, as live shows have been happening again, it's kind of messing with my schedule a little bit. Sometimes I release it Friday morning just because I need an extra day to... <laughs> to record it because I'm doing real time stuff when I see when I see shows. But normally Thursday mornings, again, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, email slamfestpodcast at gmail.com. And then we've got a private Facebook page, uh, Slamfest on Facebook. So thank you so much, guys, for for having me on. I mean, this was such a great idea, Stephen, to do this. And the fact that it's 12 studio albums, I mean, it was meant to be. It was meant to be. <laughs> it was perfect. And we do this uh, roughly – just uh, celebrated the, um, well, celebrate's not the right word, just uh, uh, recognized the one-year passing of Eddie Van Halen this month. So, you know, we're coming to the end of this thing, and I've said it many, many times, Van Halen is my band. They've been my band from the beginning, and uh, so being able to do these episodes throughout this year is the best way I could think of to pay tribute to Edward and the the band Van Halen. Uh, so it's been a it's been a real 
blast doing these records and having different people on and sharing uh, their thoughts uh, on the records. So thanks, Brad, for doing this. We appreciate you coming aboard and being part of this. You bet. I was uh, honored to be on. Thank you. Yeah, good to have you, Brad. Uh, I know it was a little tougher on Eddie today, but I <laughs> says it like I sees it. That's how it is. <laughs> That's it, man. We calls it like we sees it. And uh, yeah, next next album should be <laughs> interesting <laughs> for everybody. Anyway, we'll get there. Good thing we got Thanksgiving because I guarantee you we ain't going to be giving thanks for that record. Anyway, <laughs> we'll get there. Like we've said, we've got two more studio albums to go through for the rest of the year. And then we're going to finish off the year by ranking all the Van Halen albums in the catalog. So we'll get all the people that have taken part over the course of this year to give us their rankings. Sonny and I will share our rankings and we'll put it all together and put an episode together for you guys at the end of the year. Until then, next week, we go back to our regular episodes. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. got a rock and roll story to tell and we want to hear yours so go to our website at growinguprock.com that's one word g-r-o-w-i-n-u-p-r-o-c-k.com or visit us on our facebook page at growing up rock and tell us all about it it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.